Hey, welcome to the Sanctuary Church podcast. Sanctuary Church is a family following the path of Jesus together in Providence, Rhode Island. If you'd like to learn more about our community, you can visit our website at sanctuaryri.org or check us out on social media. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope you are encouraged by today's teaching. I'm not going to have you stand for the reading of the word again today. (laughs) Are we doing okay? Hanging in? Deuteronomy 29. Yet the Lord says, during the 40 years that I led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. Sometimes when you're reading scripture and you slow down, Your mind can often move from just scanning for the data, going to commentaries, what did this mean, to a sort of uh, like devotional mode sometimes, for lack of a maybe better way to put that. Like you just, it's what the ancients like would talk about, like meditating on the word. Like you would like soak in it. And, and something about this passage years ago caught my eye, and I find myself returning to it regularly. During the 40 years that I led you, he's talking to these Hebrews, these people who are meant to be a blessing to the world, blessed to be a blessing. I led you through the wilderness. Your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. Moses is recounting to the people what happened in the journey out of slavery. And he's like, check your shoes. Like, look at your shoes. Like they they didn't, Wear out. Can you take a minute right now? Will you actually look down at your shoes? Some of you need to elevate your kick game. Some of you need to bring your kick game down. It's too high. You're a stumbling block. Check your shoes. Right? These are like the most, one of the more mundane things about us. Yet in the retelling of this epic moment in sacred history, God draws their attention, Moses' attention to their feet. God took care of their clothing. This makes it into the Bible. Somebody's shoes made it into the Bible. Somebody's shoes became part of sacred human history. In telling the story of what God had done for these people, these shoes are there. The Jews um, understood, these Hebrew people understood that holiness and meaning was found in the everyday. Meaning and significance are found in the daily tasks, not outside them. Turn with me, if you would, to Exodus 19, verse 5. There's this philosophy that actually doesn't exist when this passage is, is uh, written uh, down, but this was uh, this understanding that still kind of is, is prevalent in our world, and even pockets of the church is sort of bowed to this idea of Gnosticism. It's this idea, in short, of like separating the spiritual and the non-spiritual. But in the Hebrew world, in the world of Jesus, in true to form biblical worldview, there is no such thing as like spiritual. Like, how's your spiritual life? Jesus doesn't ask that question, and the reason he doesn't is because the question wouldn't make any sense to the people he's talking to. You don't have a spiritual life. Everything in the scriptures is spiritual. Everything in the Hebrew mindset is soaked with holiness and sacred meaning. And so in this passage, God is speaking of his intent for these people. And we read this. Now, 
if you obey me fully and keep my covenants, how we're going to roll together, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So everybody would be priests. The whole earth is God's. One scholar says, uh, there's not one square inch of this world who is an Abraham Kuyper. Not one square inch of this world that God doesn't call out mine. The whole earth is full of God's glory. And we are told that we are this, this uh, or these Hebrew people are told, and then ultimately us by extension, we are this treasured possession who are priests and a holy nation. So everyone would be a priest. And so if everyday people with holes in their shoes with the normal, boring, mundane stuff of life are called priests and everyday routines would somehow maybe have some serious significance. The same idea comes up again and again that there's meaning and significance everywhere. Turn with me to Colossians 3. Colossians 3. Just doing a little survey here of this idea that we see throughout Scripture. Whatever you do, whatever you do, Paul's writing to a church not unlike ours. Whatever you do, whether in word, so the stuff you say, or indeed, the things you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the character, in the way of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In everything you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, what are you doing a lot of right now? Just take a moment. Like, turn to your neighbor. What is the mundane thing you're doing a lot of right now? Would you just share with the person next to you? Real quick. What are the mundane things? What is your life filled with? What's your life filled with? It's the thing, the rhythm. It's like, oh my gosh, it's this. It doesn't need to be bad. It doesn't need to be good. It's just the stuff. Right? Some of us, guys, at least in my house right now, where's Corey? Where'd Corey go? Hi, Corey. Corey, I, I wanted to know what you would have answered, how you would have answered that. Um, but I, I think my wife might have said right now, just as a menial thing, life is like, is this laundry. Anyone else, life is laundry? Like you fold the laundry and you fold it and there's so many things and so many shirts. And like, do we buy that shirt? Like, where did that shirt come from? They, they just multiply, like they, they have little, I don't know, like laundry sex and then there's more clothes. And like, I don't know what happens. And then all of a sudden you finally fold everything, you put it away and then you go to put like the clean hamper back and there's a pile of clothes sitting in the closet where the hamper is supposed to be. I don't know how many of you have children, but like I have three little girls and I swear like somehow you were able to get peanut butter on three separate shirts before 9 a.m. Like you are amazing. <laughs> Some of us life is laundry. Some of us life is cubicle land. Or just Zoom room land. You're just like, you don't even know where you are. You're just in a nebulous Zoom room out there somewhere. Like I don't even know where my office is anymore. You're like, I miss the days of a cubicle. I'm just looking at a screen all day. Some of us um, are in a, in a mode where we like, have someone tell us a bunch of stuff and we read a bunch of stuff and then we just like tell it back to them and try to memorize it as much as possible, regurgitate it and spit it back to them so we can get a good grade and then forget it all. Any students in the room, that was for you. Right? All right, my life for the next season. How many Brown students, Rizzy students here? Rick, man, I love you guys. Rick, welcome back. Guys, I love college students so much. 
Our church in, in every way was built, I was going to say built on the backs of college students. Sounds wrong. But we're just, we're just so grateful you're here and like to integrate into the life of the local church. We just love, love school. And uh, forgive me, you might like be sitting next to some of your professors in the room. And if you need to find like a different place to worship, we'll create some safe spaces for you. Um, <laughs> it's really great that you're here. But for some of you, right, this is like you're going into school, high school students, so like this, this is life. It's just taking in some information, regurgitating it, taking in just like over and over. Sales calls, commutes on the train. Our tension is that in a, in a world of laundry and homework and lectures, you, you have this sense of this is my life, and yet we all have, or at least those of us here who are followers of Jesus or have orbited the way of Jesus, we know there's like this higher calling that we have. And so I think we feel this tension. Some of us are like, I, I would love to get into vocational ministry. If only I could give my time fully to this work or this work or this work. If only I'd have more room in my schedule to be able to like be, a, be in ministry. I know some of you like feel that ache all the time. And it's like we want our life to be caught up in these moments. And then we are always brought back to reality that actually in some ways life is, is just laundry. Where we live is these like moments of taking out the garbage. I will be so tired. It's been a very long week. And I will preach this sermon and be excited to hang with everybody afterwards. And then I will go home and crash. But when I go home and crash, there's a whole laundry list of things I got to get done today. This is where we live. And many people deal with the tension by extracting themselves from the everyday. They go do something spiritual and meaningful and then they enter into the rest of their life somewhere else. We even have people say, I'm thinking of leaving the secular workplace to go into ministry. That can't be it though, right? Like, is that it? Do you leave it? Do you go somewhere else? You have your, this life over here and this life over here. Anyone else feel like they live like split lives? Anyone else feel that tension? So in the book of Ephesians, Paul has some things to say, some amazing things to say about the, how a church is supposed to be wired. Turn with me to Ephesians 4. This is how a church is meant to be arranged, or at least these are the words that Paul's given to the, the, the church at Ephesus. But we see this same kind of thing come up again and again. We read, so Christ, so Jesus gave to the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Jesus has some folks lead. The apostle, the apostle's the one who's like starting churches. How many of you would like self-identify as an entrepreneur? You have an entrepreneurial instinct. None of you, no, I'm kidding. Yeah, right? Like, you're just like, I love to make things and start things. This is the apostolic, like, impulse. But positioned in the church, these are the folks that are helping the church think vision out beyond. The evangelists, they kind of have a burden to put the gospel message and language that a new culture can understand. There's the shepherds and the pastors, the teachers. There's these gifts. And in the church, there are certain people that are there and placed in a way because of the ways that they're wired. And their job then in verse 12 is to prepare God's people for works of what? Service. To prepare them. It says in one translation, to equip his people for ministry. 
This is the Greek word here is kartartismos. You say kartartismos. This idea is to train and prepare. Prepare the people. Kartartismos them. The hagias. Say hagias. Hagias are the saints. That's us. So, so apparently the job of any like positional leadership is to prepare you, the saints, the royal priesthood, to prepare you, to train you up, to mold you and shape you and equip you and empower you. All those that belong to Christ, the hagias, the saints, are all those folks who belong to Jesus to do the works of and that word for ministry or service there is diakonoi. Ministry or service. To train and equip people to do the work of ministry. And what do you call somebody who does ministry? I'll say it with me. What do you, somebody who does ministry is a, somebody who does ministry is a minister. Somebody like, I don't know who does ministry. Let's try this one more time. Who does ministry? What kind of person? A minister. I know some of you know this stuff. But it's so good when we begin a new year to remember again a biblical view of church is that you're the ministers. My job is simply to help equip and empower you and us, God's people, Greg's job and Sarah's job, anyone else in ministry, some of your home church leaders, their job is to help equip the saints to do the work of ministry. This is meant to be a training ground, which brings up an interesting thought around evaluations. We brought on some new elders. We're beginning to think about, all right, what's going to be our rhythm of where we do staff evaluations? And it got me thinking about this. If you're going to do evaluations... Like if you're gonna do biblical evaluations, then you can't just be like, how did Andrew do? Well, I think he's a bit tired. I think he needs a vacation. Let's send him away for a couple months. Pay. No, see, he's, I don't know how that last sermon was. Sometimes the service goes long. Honestly, that air conditioning gaffe where he didn't keep it longer, like, like demerit, 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 right? Oh, he hasn't like met with me enough. Like whatever the thing is, right? We have these places of evaluation of me or any other organization we come in. But for the church, it's interesting. Because if you're gonna like follow that all the way through, then really I also should be and other staff should be standing at the door as you come in going, how did you do? How did you do? Right? You're asking the question, hopefully, of ministry, and this is a good thing, evaluating the leadership is how did you do? Can I be really clear? If we follow that biblically, an evaluation is how did you do? How did you do? The more interesting thing when you're hearing a sermon is never how did I do or how did Elizabeth do or how did Greg do? No, 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 no. The question should always be for you. How, how did I do? How did I do with that? I'm not going to sit back. I'm not, going to be, I'm not going to be disconnected. I'm going to be engaged. Oh, I didn't care for the songs. Yeah, yeah, but how did you do worshiping the God of the universe? Well, I wish there were more hymns. Well, I wish there was more lingering moments. I wish there was more gospel. How did you do? I don't know about you, man, but I could get up here and listen to somebody like with a junky out-of-tune guitar. Not because I'm so holy and spiritual, but I just cannot wait to come and to remember that I'm not on the throne and worship the God who's worthy and get myself up out of my cynicism. I can't wait to sing. Half the time, I don't even need to be on the worship team. I just like it so much. 
How did you do? How did we do? This would be the proper way to look at an evaluation, a biblical evaluation. So it's not me leaving cubicle world, not leaving the classroom, not me leaving the mundane. We have to wrestle with what it means for me to go, uh, how am I doing and living out the way of Jesus in my space? We have to wrestle with what it means to be a minister everywhere you go. Because some of you have other jobs other than being a minister. Right? Like your primary role is to be a, like is to actually be somebody who embodies the way of love and beauty and generosity in the way of Jesus. And so the question then becomes, the question becomes, how am I doing with that as I go? Which raises some questions around qualifications. It doesn't say you need a degree. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a minister. And your primary witness is to do all things unto the glory of God, whether in word or deed, do all things for the Lord. See, this sort of thinking actually causes you to do the work then that you do have, that other job, that other job where you're a student, that other job where you work in finance, that other job where you're a school teacher, that other job where you are like full-time parenting, that other job, that other place, right? That, that, (laughs) that, that space, is one that actually gets better, even the mundane, when we actually live according to our primary vocation as ministers of God. They get better. Things get better. You do things with more integrity when you do it under the Lord. Actually, I'm working on this job. I'm working on this paper, not just for my professor, not just for my degree, but for the Lord. Guys, go with me on this. I know it can sound a little like, okay, that's cute. Like the people who crush it in life as followers of Jesus and follow the way out, are often, you, I mean, like almost always, the ones who are doing everything unto the glory of God. It's amazing, the sort of integrity and honesty, the good nature and spirit, the more and more you lean into the way of Jesus and say, actually, my true boss is God. It begins to shape you. I'm writing this paper for someone other than my professor. It pulls you into what you do even more with passion and purpose, which raises all sorts of other interesting questions. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 verse 1, as a prisoner for the Lord, this is the same writer Paul, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Remember, this is for Christians. And so when people would ask me, Andrew, um, when were you called into full-time ministry? My favorite response, some of you know this from back in the day, my favorite response, Andrew, when were you called in like to be a pastor, to like be in full-time ministry? My response back is always like, oh, I can, uh, it was on this date. When were you? When were you called into full-time ministry? <laughs> No, no, yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's great. Like, so what was it? Like, what happened when you were called into full-time ministry? What happened when you were called into full-time ministry? This is our great call and the great adventure that we get to join God in. All of your lives are worthy of this calling. Whatever you do, whatever you do, you've already been called. You already are in full-time ministry, which raises the question, is it possible to have a secular job? Well, it was until you got there, right? Right? You guys following me? You, you're in a space where it's like, I, I, I struggle because there's no followers of Jesus there. It's such an ungodly, such a godless place. Like, dude, you're there. 
There's so much gossip and backbiting here. Awesome. You have an opportunity to disrupt and minister and be a voice right of hope to these people. We know this. I don't think it's possible. You are a sacred plumber with the power of the Almighty with you. You are a sacred student with the power of the Almighty with you. I told the story before. I had this um, older gentleman who was an electrician in our church. And I remember him coming over and working on something in the basement. And I went downstairs. I was pretty young. And I noticed he had um, this piece of paper stuck up. And it looked familiar. And it was the missionary prayer list that had been given out that last week at the church. And he had it stuck up there. And so as he's like underneath... uh, you know, tables and opening circuit breakers, the kind of main work area, he just had this piece of paper right there with a list of all the people that he could be praying for. It was just as he went, as he went. Uh, I had another um, older gentleman in my life who used to always um, give these long explanations when people would ask what he would do. I was like, oh man, I, I help lead this like dynamic community of people who are trying to be this community of love and a voice of hope to the world and people who are marked by this generosity and they get together regularly to kind of root themselves and knowing that they're deeply loved. Um, and he, he like avoids all the like God and Jesus language for a minute and he begins to explain this. And then finally like somebody like, like drills down, like what are you talking about? You lead some kind of weird commune or something like that? And he just turns and he just goes, no, 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 I'm, I'm, a, I'm an elder at, the, at a local church. Like, I love that he began that way. And I've remembered that story like a decade later because it reminds me again and again where my primary vocation is, where your primary vocation is. And as we begin a new ministry here together, as we set out to look beyond the horizon of what God wants to do in our church in this season, I believe it's gonna be something so special in our city. We have to be people who see ourselves in the right sort of way. It's not until we see the mundane. It's not until we see the sacred. I'm sorry, we don't see the mundane as sacred. We won't understand the kind of life that God has for us. It's not until we see the mundane as sacred. So much of Western culture asks, what do we want and how do we feel? And the follower of Jesus Guys, listen to this. The Father of Jesus asks, who are we and why are we here? Not what do we want and how do we feel, but who are we and why are we here? And allowing that to be the rhythm and refrain of our life again and again as we go. Romans 12 says, in a few, uh, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It's like you start here. My life has been ransomed and purchased. This is where we start. I am loved and a child of God. And I think so often we get hung up on all the specifics because they're, they're important, but we get hung up really quickly on the specifics of what we're to do and we forget and miss the larger call that each of us have on our life. And I will tell you, friends, for those of you who are in a season of just trying to like take care of your own soul and you're like kind of not hearing it, like I don't need more stuff to think about and do. You want to talk about one of the many antidotes to anxiety and stress It is not resting more. It's becoming a wholehearted person. And becoming a wholehearted person in the way of Jesus is to be someone who has their view on the bigger story. That's been this theme that's risen up over the end of the summer, right? Like joy is found when we get our eyes up off the mundane 
And we begin to look to the larger things. We begin to see the bigger story that we are a part of. And then it begins to shape the moments now. It's when we get so preoccupied and filled with so much stress and anxiety over the things that are right in front of us that we just begin to numb out, tap out versus getting our eyes up onto the bigger call that is on each one of your life. I always love to tell people when they're wrestling with their calling, first and foremost, if you're a follower of Jesus, I already know your calling. (laughs) I already know. Because God is showing us right here, your job is to be a minister of the gospel. Someone who demonstrates and announces the good news that Jesus is Lord. Somebody who is beginning more and more to embody the kingdom, the thing that Jesus spent all of his time talking about. And so we begin... We begin with, in view of God's mercy, in light of what God has done for us, we offer ourselves up. Lord, how would you deploy us? How would you work within us? Lord, how do we need to re-understand our current calling, the thing that we're doing right now, the mundane, the laundry of life, in light of the general calling of Jesus? Maybe you even need to take a moment right now and just offer yourself again to God. It is not, I repeat again, it is not until we see the day-to-day mundane stuff as sacred work. It's not until we do that that we will understand the riches of life with God that he has for you. Can I get an amen? He has so much for you. He has so much more for you and I. And it begins in the small stuff. It begins with the laundry. One of the things we're going to share next week, some of our big Love Providence initiatives and the way we're loving and serving the city, one of the simple tasks will be on a Friday night where you pick up a meal, bring it over to the local football team at a high school that is so deeply at risk. There's so much just that there's a lot. And an opportunity that we have now to serve and bless an under-resourced school in a very tangible way in the athletic department. And one of the things as we were talking about the plan, some of the folks that are on the ground at Hope High, Jeremiah and James were saying, just as you go and pick up that food and throw it in your car, just begin to pray for the students as you drive over. Just begin to pray, like all of life, the simple things. My family and I, we kind of kicked it off this last week. You want to know if my kids were excited about eating a later dinner and going to pick up food and dropping it off? You know how excited they were? You know how whiny they were? (laughs) You want to know how much of a gift it was at the end? Because we gave ourselves to like, as a family, loving and serving these students, watching my daughters get activated and how they're going to sit the chair up. I'll tell you a story about that next week. My point is, it's just the mundane. It's the little things. Friends, parents, can I just can I call to you like for a moment? Like you, you all know this. I'm learning this in real time. Your kids are going to be gone really, really soon. I know life is exhausting right now. It's exhausting right now for a lot of you. I know. And it won't be exhausting forever. Amen? But it, it won't be exhausting forever. And, and when they leave the house, like who, who have they become? The opportunity that sits in front of you 
folding each piece of laundry, walking with your son, men, stepping in and being engaged and hearing them, teaching them the way of Jesus. Man, these opportunities that we have in the day-to-day and mundane, the, this is where the life is. This is where the ministry is. And so maybe the prayer that we need to have going into the fall is simply show me. Show me, Lord. How do I join you? What are you up to? I understand as a minister, you probably have a bigger agenda and something else going on in this little interaction with my children, in this small interaction with the professor, in this little interaction at work or on the sales call or as I go in. Holy Spirit, I want to be interruptible. Most of Jesus' most dynamic ministry was when he was interrupted. Anyone else want to be interruptible? I want the Holy Spirit to be able to interrupt me and show me you should pray for this person. You know how to serve someone before they even knew what that was. God will like give you insight and open doors to the gospel again and again. You're assuming that the kids screaming in the car, there might be some higher purpose here. It's living, friends. It's living with an assumption that the holy and the sacred are right around every corner every corner. There is no spiritual and non-spiritual life. If you're there, the Holy Spirit is there. God is at work. We're told God is always at work. And we're assuming that there's a little bit of sacred history to write as you're parenting your kid, as you're cleaning that diaper, as you're penning that paper, as you're climbing the corporate ladder. Maybe it's about seeing Deuteronomy 29 in advance, those shoes. I want this laundry to be written into sacred history. I want this little cubicle space to be a holy temple. And so for all ministers, and you minister together, when someone asks the question of our church, Right? When this fall, when you come across people who are wondering if they should like, get involved and they start asking you questions, and they ask the question, how many ministers do you have in your church? What is your response? <laughs> right? We don't talk about staff. We talk about this. Right? Guys, the Patriots are playing today, so I'm feeling a little hypey. So if you can meet me, I know it's hot. Like, let's talk about this. Let's talk about, like, Folks that are managing massive hedge funds in this church who have opportunities to see the gospel go forward in lanes that often aren't informed by the way of Jesus, but just greed. Right? There are like, there are very influential and very smelly hipsters in this church. Like, you know the back corners of our city. You know that back bar and those people who never walk through the door of the church, but you're there. You're there. Students, college students, man, what an opportunity. You know how many people raise money off statistics that like Brown is the most godless place in the country? Like people raise tons of money talking about how bad and godless Brown University is. Like, bro, it's not godless. You're there. Like, you know that the college fellowships over the last year 
last, sorry, two years since COVID have been higher. The numbers have been higher than they have been in decades. 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 The brand, I'm part of the brand, just salt and light. You know, I'm, I'm going to miss, there's like 10 fellowships of Brown, so I'm not going to go through them all. Like you guys are seeing it. Seeing people come to Jesus amidst all of the like really tough and godless world. Like where, wherever we go, wherever we go, we would see ourselves as priests. We need each one of us to be in the game. The struggling artists and the disillusioned religious folks and the hedonists, the marginalized, the privileged elite, all of us. The gospel has something to say. And my job is not to go do that. I'm literally going to ask next week as you come in, how'd you do? It's not a test, man. I just, I, I want to be in it with you. And my job is actually not to do it. You get the dynamic work of ministering to the city. I'm just here to help equip you to do that. Please don't put that on me, man. It's not my job. It's not my job. So I'd like you to invite you this fall to join the staff. Sound good? You're like, no, I do not want to join the staff. I want to invite you. I want to invite you. Come to conference next Saturday, not just because it's a fun event. Because you're like, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm all in. We need to be who we are. And we forget that we are ministers with high callings in our life. And the problem starts when we just start thinking that we're plumbers. We're just plumbers. We're just students. Do not forget who you are. Holy Spirit, would you remind us? Would you come in these last couple minutes together? Would you remind us, Holy Spirit, that we are not just the sum of what happens to be the mundane rhythm in our life right now. We are holy saints set apart to join you in the work of loving and blessing and serving. And Lord, we just say, like asking you, Lord, show us where we need to be more equipped. Reveal in us, Lord, where you're working in our space. Like ask this question now. You can just start to tune me out. Like go into the secret place for a minute with him if you can. You only got a few more minutes left. But just say, Lord, what are you... What are you doing where I am? You're maybe just in such a rut and it's just the simple prayer, Lord, I remember that I am yours. I am loved by you. I remember, Lord, that you have a call on my life. Will you show me the joy that it is to join you in what you're doing? Show me what to let go of that I can make room in my life. Spirit, would you come and would you just like enlighten our imagination, Lord?